Welcome to episode 56 of the Making Disciples podcast, where our mission here is to make disciples of all nations and take the word of God, take the gospel, take the good news to here, there, and everywhere, making disciples of all nations. So this is our third part in the series that we've been going through in the book called The Greater Work by the author Bill Wilkes and the foreword by Alan Taylor. And uh, I'm just going to go ahead and give a roundabout, as I've been saying in the last couple of episodes, that in that foreword, I saw what Alan Taylor saw as five points that are applicable to the disciple's life. It shows the characteristics that we should possess and what the discipleship life looks like. So this is part three in our five-part series of what the life of the disciple should look like. And today we're talking about something that we have literally just touched up on in 1 John. And our passage comes from John 13 verses 31 through 35. And our key verses that we're going to be zooming in on are verses 34 and 35. And these mark the third mark of the disciple that we have been going through in this five-part series. And like I said, it's a book, The Greater Work by Bill Wilkes, that is going to be in the description of whatever platform you're on, YouTube, Spotify, Amazon, Apple, iHeartRadio. Just check that description. Make sure to check out that book. It is very influential. It is applicable. It is pertinent. Uh, Bill Wilkes does not only focus on the advancement of the knowledge of the gospel, but it is the transformative work that should be done in our hearts. It should be a heart of stone replaced with a heart of flesh. It should be full submission and true love for the Lord thy God. Um, Also, please make sure to join the Discord. We are trying to build up a community of disciplers where we disciple one another and we learn how to disciple others. So please make sure to join that Discord. It will also be in the description of whatever platform you are on. So like I said, Passage comes from John 13, verses 31 through 35, and I'll go ahead and start it out. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, Where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So at the beginning, we see when he had gone out. I want to give context to what just happened before this passage. And it is Jesus told the disciples who would betray him. They said, who? Which one of us will betray you? He said, the one that I give this piece of bread to will betray me. And when he dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas, and Judas had then walked out. And the scripture very clearly says that Satan entered him. And as as soon as the enemy, as soon as the deceiver, as soon as the liar had exited the room, Jesus was able to be more transparent. He wanted to speak to his disciples on this new commandment. So when Judas had left, when the enemy had left, it had given Jesus the opportunity to be fully transparent. We see that Satan entered him, like I just said, and there was now no restraint, and Jesus could openly speak to those who loved him and continued to long for his appearing. We are being brought near to the time of Jesus' crucifixion, and our Lord says that now is the Son of Man glorified. So why is it now that he's glorified? Well, the redemptive work that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit had planned for the Son to fulfill, it was nearing. The completion of this task was nearing, and the final events had been laid out and are now in motion. Jesus, in this passage, didn't look at the agony of the cross. Instead, he looked 
past the cross. He saw the will of his father being complete. He looked toward the glory that he would share with his father. He knew that the events that were to take place would reconcile us to the father and give us direct relationship with him. It would give us forgiveness of sins. It would allow us to have eternity with him. This glorifies Christ. He was to be seated on his throne pleading for us that we may have life. Now, not only is the Son glorified, but the Trinity is glorified. Through the fulfillment of the prophecy and the promises of our Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are lifted high. They alone receive praise and honor for their sacrificial love that is holy and perfect. We cannot comprehend the love of our Creator who created us, who came into the world he created, who dwelt among us, who was tempted like us, who was persecuted more than us, who was tempted more than us, and died for us, rose for us, and is coming back for us. We cannot comprehend that love. Our God knew the outcome of his story, and he endured. He submitted himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Through these events that were to be fulfilled, we see that the Father glorifies Christ in himself. The Father is glorified by the work Christ does, and then the Father glorifies Christ. Anyone that claims Jesus is not God certainly understand that the only one who is glorified by God is God, and here we see clearly that the Father glorifies Christ. The Father does not glorify anything or anyone other than the divine Trinity. The Greek word for glorify is doxazo, and it means to praise. God doesn't praise his creation. Christ isn't the Father's creation. He is eternal. Before Abraham was, he was. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. So the Father glorifies himself, Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Christ glorifies himself, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit glorifies himself, the Father, and Christ. Jesus states that it is only a little while longer that he will be with the apostles. Jesus knows because of the account in chapter 8, verse 21, that they will seek to go where he goes, and where he is going, they cannot come. Now, this does not mean indefinitely. This does not mean that the apostles can never enter where he is going, but instead, it is for the appointed time that they are here in this temporal world. The work that Christ has planned for the disciples to complete is not completed yet, so the disciples cannot go where Jesus is going. It wasn't God's timing for the apostles to be taken up. He had bigger and better plans for them to win souls for his kingdom. So, as we are disciples of Christ and are alive, it is not our time to enter the presence of Christ. Philippians 1.21, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. We are called to be disciples, messengers, devoted followers of Christ. It is for him that we live, and it is for him that we die. We live and die for Christ alone. To die is gain because we are immediately in his presence. 2 Corinthians 5.8, Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So if you are not dead, you are to live to Christ. It is not your time to be in eternity quite yet, so we must take every moment captive to the serving and exalting of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now to the mark of the disciple. Now to verses 34 and 35. 
we see that Christ says he is giving them a new commandment. And we talked about this when we went through the book of 1 John. 1 John 2, 7 and 8. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. We know this isn't a new commandment according to Leviticus 19.18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So if it is not new considering that it was commanded to us from the foundation of the law, what is it new in regard to? We've talked about this. Jesus' standard of love presented it in a new way. It was new on the basis that nobody knew what kind of love this was. Nobody lived it out. Christ's love was a sacrificial love. We are to love others as Christ loves us. We are to love others as Christ loves the church. He laid down his life for the sheep. Are we willing to do the same? Are we willing to pray for the perseverance of the saints? Are we willing to die to self and also submit our bodies as living sacrifices to die to Christ? Many people notice Christ's other commands before they learn to understand this one. Many quote-unquote Christians don't know what it truly means to love God and love others, which gives cause to suspect their sincerity in their profession of faith. The greatest commandment is to love the, uh, to love the Lord thy God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it to love thy neighbor as thyself. If you don't know how to love, are you truly a disciple? Are you truly a devoted follower of the Creator? of the mediator, of the high priest, of the lion, of the lamb, of the lily in the valley, of the alpha and omega? Are you truly a follower if you do not know his love and you do not exhibit his love towards others? This is how all people will know who are Jesus' disciples. This is how they will know that we are his disciples. We aren't looking to get into arguments so that we can win. We don't try to tear sinners down. Christ didn't condemn, so neither should we. We have no right. James says if you keep the entire law and stumble at one point, you're guilty of breaking the entire law. We are called to bring light into the world. We don't do that by shaming others and calling them out. We do so by revealing the truth and sharing that the God who created us died and rose for us. We do so by sharing what the truth is, by dying to self and rising in Christ by submitting your bodies as living sacrifices, by no longer being slaves to sin, but being slaves to righteousness. For the fruit that that produces is sanctification and eternal life. Is sin okay? Absolutely not. Can you follow Christ and continue to live in sin? Absolutely not. First John makes that incredibly clear. But we are not called to condemn and shame. We are called to share the love. And the woman caught in the act of adultery said, who, who condemns you? Who, who is here? She says, nobody, Lord. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He didn't say, neither do I condemn you, so now you can continue to go live a life of sin. No, he very clearly, explicitly states, go and sin no more. If you love others, you will share the truth. You know that the way of sin leads to death, eternal death, eternal separation from goodness, from peace, from joy. So you share that truth, but do not condemn. We do not take credit for the good fruit that we produce as followers of Christ. We know that anything good that comes from us is not us, but it is Christ in us. 
If people cannot tell that you are different, something is wrong. The problem with quote-unquote religion is that way too many people are seeing condemnation. They think that Christians see themselves as better than others, and that's not the case. If you are truly a Christian, if you are truly a disciple, a messenger, then you seek to share the truth and understand that you are a sinner in need of a Savior just like every other person. If others aren't asking you questions as to why you are different from worldly religions, as to why you are different from other people who profess Christ, why you are more peaceful, why you are more joyful, why you are more loving, sharing the love of Christ, truly caring about other people's eternity, you must ask yourself, am I a faithful representation of Christ or am I lacking? Am I misrepresenting the character of God? Do I know what it means to love, and am I living like a disciple who loves others? If the answer to these questions are yes, then we should be discipling. If the answer to these are no, then you must repent. Sharing the truth and not teaching that Christ accepts us and allows us to live in sin, but that he calls us to take up our cross and sin no more, that is the truth that we should be sharing. If you love others, you will share the truth. You will not distort the word of God so that others can continue living in sin, and you will not distort the word of God so that others don't even come to Christ. Accurately convey God's character. Accurately convey his word. You know that the life of sin, those who are slaves to sin, will end up in one destination, and you want those who are slaves to sin to become slaves of righteousness, for that is the way that leads to sanctification and eternal life. That is what love is. Laying your life down for the church, laying your life down, winning souls over for the kingdom of God, and you're not going to do so by condemning and pushing people away from Christ and telling them, that they will never be accepted, that their life of sin is, that they can never recover. You will never win souls like that. How you win souls is by sharing the blatant truth that we are sinners in need of a Savior, that we are imperfect, that we cannot earn our way to eternal life, but there's a God who bridged the gap between us and the Father, between us and eternal life, who is our mediator, who fights for us, who pleads for us, and that is a love that we can never understand, that we can never comprehend, why he would create us and desire to be in harmony with us. We cannot comprehend that. So if you are a disciple, love one another. Share the truth. Do not distort the truth. Live and die for Christ. Do not flee at the face of persecution. That's going to wrap up episode 56 of the Making Disciples podcast. Thank you so much for joining me on this third session of our five-part series. I can't wait to see you guys in the next one. Either the next one or the fifth one I'm going to be doing in another special destination, God willing. Um, in the next couple of weeks, I'll be going to New Orleans to visit the seminary that I will be attending this fall. Um, so I'm, I will probably more than likely do an episode, uh, either the fourth or the fifth part of the series, in New Orleans. So stay tuned. I can't wait to see you guys in episode 57. God bless.